Hello, friends. Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's conversation is with Philip Miller, Cedarville alumni and senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. Listen as Mark and Philip discuss Cedarville stories, chapel sermons, and life with Christ. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and it's hard to believe that we are in the final month of the year. But it's been a good year for the Cedarville Stories podcast team as we've done 21 podcasts during our fifth season and 22,000 people have listened to our programs. We're thrilled. So in the spirit of Thanksgiving, we thank the Lord for his favor on the podcast and we are thankful for you for faithfully listening to our programs. Now for today, I've been looking forward to today's program ever since Philip Miller, a 2004 alumnus of Cedarville University, was called to be the next senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. I am sure you are going to enjoy hearing the heart of Philip Miller in our conversation about his acceptance of the call to this historic church in downtown Chicago. Philip earned a bachelor's degree in Bible from Cedarville and then went on to Dallas Theological Seminary where he earned a Master of Theology degree in 2010. But his study of the Bible and learning about ministry wasn't just limited to his coursework at Cedarville or Dallas Seminary. Not by a long shot. While studying at Dallas, Philip served under the ministry of Chuck Swindoll at Stonebriar Community Church, which is also the church where he was ordained into the ministry. We'll talk more about this time at Stonebriar later in the podcast. Philip met his wife, Krista, at Cedarville University, and they now have four children, Claire, Violet, Cora, and Jude. And with that said, let me welcome Pastor Philip Miller of the Moody Church to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome. (laughs) Hey, Mark. Good to be here. It's great to meet you in person. And before I really get to the heart of the conversation, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, You bring a lot of good stories, I I know. Um, The first thing, though, what's it like to come back to campus because you've been disciplined? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that was the joke this morning. I heard it. I heard it. Yeah, for those of you who didn't hear the chapel message, I, I joked that I was here to make up chapels that I had skipped in my senior year. So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's great to be back on campus. Our kids have been uh, all week, and actually, last couple of weeks, they're like, "We're going to college! We're going to college!" Really? You know, they're yeah, they're just little, and but they they're so excited. I mean, they've heard stories about dorms and the crazy things we did in the dorms, and how yeah. I got thrown in the lake when I got engaged, and. You know, they've stores in town and places yeah. that are just memory. So they have all these anchor points in, in stories they've heard. And it's been really fun for them to like walk around, see the locations, okay. touch the rock, you know, yeah. all that stuff. So you need it's been to, really fun. You need to get them some spray paint and let them know, go, right? go crazy on the rock. Yeah. yeah, we have a no paint rule in our house just because. Well, that's I, wise. Well, it's for the four-year-old. He's my boy and he, man, we don't, we don't let him anywhere near paint. Yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty wise. Yeah. So back as a student, uh, Philip, uh, you were part of '87. Yeah, when and that just for our listeners, that's um, Chaplain's Council today. Um, at that point, did you ever envision yourself being called back to be a chapel speaker? I don't know that it ever like sparked in my mind that that would be something I would do. Yeah, I actually I was fighting a call to ministry when I was here. I, I, I in high school, I, I really didn't want to be a pastor. But the Lord was like persistent, and I finally tapped out. I was like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll do what you want. Because you can't resist the Lord you right. know, forever. It's sort of a, 
if it's sort of a when are you going to tip or instead of if, right? And so I, I knew enough to to realize I had to do what he wanted. And so I came here and I was trying to like like derail and like maybe be a counselor or go into like some other nonprofit work or whatever. Sure. And but the Lord used Ad Seven um, and mm-hmm. my. I preached like three three times to the student body as a part of that and uh, used that to really foster a love for preaching. Yeah. Like I I remember, I, I still remember the first time I preached, I was scared out of my mind. I go, I preach. And when I sat down, I was like, bummer. I loved that. <laughs> like, you know, like, cause I knew, I knew, that, okay, God's going to make me be a pastor now, you know? And so it was actually a very formative time. So... Back this is back in probably your high school years. You know, you said that you didn't want to be a pastor. What right. were some of the reasons why you didn't want to be a pastor? Well, I had this American dream thing yeah. in my heart, and I wanted like a big house and fancy car and a lifestyle that fit a kind of a high flying successful person. And um, you know, and and my experience with ministry, including family members who have been pastors, was it's not ministry; it's misery. Sure. And uh, it's, you know, people that get chewed up and spit out and like church can be hard. And um, and I didn't see that as success in many ways. And so I really wanted to succeed and win. Yeah. And uh, this didn't feel like it. So I resisted it at, at many levels. And the Lord kind of, you know, he, he just reminded me, like, I loved you enough to send my son to die for you. Right. Like, do you, you, you really think I'm going to ruin your life? Like you can trust me, yeah. and so I I knew that anyone who loved me enough to die for me would never do me any harm, and I had to sort of surrender to that, and so that was like the first part, and then ministry giftedness started started emerging, and I I realized like I think I'm supposed to preach, and, yeah, and so that that was part of my story and trajectory. Yeah, and we're gonna get into that, into that a little bit later in the podcast, but um, I'm interested interested in knowing um, is there any um, do you have any heritage of pastors in your family? Yeah, so my mom's dad. Uh, was was a pastor and okay. um, and yeah, was a gracious guy and uh, but he was in small churches, rural churches um, for short stints in a number of different places and um, I, I loved his heart, his character, um, but that was part of the equation for me was just feeling like ah, I'm not sure I want the whole lifestyle that goes with this. You know? Yeah, you so, wanted the um, you wanted the the wealth, the fame. Yeah, that's right, Philip. Your journey. To being a senior or being the senior pastor at the Moody Church actually began in your teen years, uh, when you described your heart as monstrous. <laughs> Can you share with us this time in your life when you moved from trying to be that perfect Christian kid, which no one can be, to understanding your need for the Savior? As a little kid, I wanted to please my parents. I I was the oldest child, so I'm I'm pretty good at being good, and I could kind of keep my nose clean and follow the rules. And so I I kind of learned. Uh, that if I was good, um, that's how I got ahead in life. If I sure. could just please people and, and do well. And so I, I kind of transferred that to God. I figured, you know, like God is a, a father who wants me to be good and keep my nose clean. And that's what he really wants out of my life is um, he wants me to be righteous. And, right. and it's true that God values righteousness, but that's not the main thing he wants, right? And so what happened was when I was in my early teen years, um, I actually was on our family computer and discovered images, you can imagine what those are, that were not good for my soul. Sure. And um, it kind of hooked me in, and um, and I, uh, all of a sudden I realized I had 
I had a problem. Like I had, I had a sinful heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lustful and angry, and there were things that I wasn't dealing with. And so all of a sudden, I'm not the good kid. And my relationship with God, which was based off my performance, crumbled because I'm not good. Yeah. And I still remember I was at church one day and somebody said to their, their kid, who's probably still in therapy over this, <laughs> uh, why can't you be more like Philip? Ooh. And I remember in my, in my heart, I thought, you have no idea. You do not want your kid. Because on the outside, I was squeaky clean, but my heart was monstrous, right? Yeah, right. And I lived with this disintegration of myself for, um, for it's a long time. It was like a year and a half of just feeling, who am I? Am I, am I uh, gold star, Philip? That's what I call myself now. Is like, you know, always getting the gold star. Or am I this other guy in front of his computer screen? And, mm. and it just, it, and, you know, people say that a disintegrated person disintegrates. Yeah. And that's what was happening with me. And uh, I remember I finally just cried out to God. I was like, help, help. Because like, I cannot, I used to think of myself as like a good kid uh, who occasionally got caught. And so I needed forgiveness, but it was just like to erase the one spot on my record that needed right. to be, right. you know, expunged. Mm-hmm. My two chapel skips that need to be made up. <laughs> um, but on the, but it was like, this was the moment where I was like, I, I, I actually think I'm not a good kid. Like, like, I don't think I can maintain that narrative. Yeah. I think I'm actually desperately wicked, and I actually need a Savior. Not from my sin, but from myself yeah. as well. As well. You know? And so that was the moment when I realized I needed grace. Not just a magic wand saying, ah, let's get rid of that spot, but like, like a transformative, yeah. heart-transplanting new life on yeah. the inside. Yeah. And... I cried out, and I still remember it. It's very emotional for me, but the Lord just met me, and I felt the love of God in a way that I'd never experienced because I had been striving for it, never achieving it, and all yeah. of a sudden, in my failure, he met me. Yeah. And, um, and so, like Jacob, we talked about this morning, but yeah. like Jacob saw the face of God when he was broken. Yeah. And it was in that moment when I was broken, that yeah. first broken, that, that the face of God was finally... Revealed. This may sound like a strange question, but how did your parents respond? Did they think you were a squeaky, squeaky clean kind of, kind yeah. of guy, or how did they respond to? You? Well, I think mostly because my sin was secret. Yeah, they didn't really even know. Yeah, um, I'm sure they saw the change. Um, but it's interesting, Mark, that you mentioned this because I didn't feel the the freedom to come clean with some of the stuff for many, many, many years. Right. It was this like thing in my past I had to bury. Oh yeah. Because again, even though I had tasted grace, I didn't know how to live in it. I didn't believe it was big enough and good enough and real enough to like define my life. And I was I didn't want to be a trophy of grace. I still wanted to be the guy that earned my way in. Yeah. And um and so actually it took it was until my like late twenties mm. was when the Lord really melted me out and I and I began to realize that that the gospel means I can be a failure loved by God. Yeah. And that's actually when I'm, I'm most honestly real. Yeah. And that's who I am. Mm. And that this is the Reformation, right? Absolutely. Justified and sinner. Absolutely. At the same time. Yeah. And, um, and that that, that, that um, 
paradoxical identity is actually the freest place to live from. So you were dealing even this with this as a Cedarville college student. That's right. That's right. Still so trying to outrun my my brokenness and things like that. But but you were a believer when you came to Cedarville. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so how did you get to Cedarville? Uh, so I I had friends who had been at Cedarville and um, it just seemed like a good school. I was actually looking at another school that I um, I was going to maybe transfer to, and I came here kind of as a temporary stopgap. I'll do this for a year and then maybe transfer out and uh, yeah. fell in love with Cedarville and some of my friends. And of course, my wife was here. I didn't know how significant that would be until maybe a year later. Right. Um, but um, but just fell in love with the school, the professors, and I, I couldn't leave. So I, I just stayed. <laughs> yeah. Who were some of the professors that really built into your life? Yeah. So uh, Greg Kowser is, mm-hmm. is one. Um, Dan Estes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chris Miller, um, Pastor um, Rome, Bob Rome, yeah. uh, you know from the from the ministry side. Um, I just met up with uh, Dr. Jim Bjornstad. Mm. I loved theology classes with him, apologetics, things like that. So yeah. th- those were those were the the people who really poured into into me. Um, so especially, I would say Greg Kauser and his wife Rana, my wife and I, we did our premarital counseling with them. Okay. And they're just precious, dear friends, and um, and and we've they, they've touched our lives in really deep ways. So, Are these relationships that still continue today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not the same as obviously no, when you're every be. day in class. Um, but yeah, the like uh, for example, Dr. Kauser wrote me a letter, a real nice like five page letter, um, just sort of like as a father in the faith. Yeah, on my installation at at Moody, and that just, I mean it's just that's special, you it know. Is. People that knew you when you you picked your nose and <laughs> like just were kind of a goober trying to figure life out and still love you anyway. I mean, to to walk with you all through life, that's those are precious. Yeah, that's the body of Christ coming yeah. together and staying together. That's right. Friends for life, right? Friends for life. <laughs> so staying on the Cedarville um, thought, um, it's also, and you mentioned it, it's also the place where you met Krista, your wife. Yep. Um, but I have to ask, is it true, <laughs> and, and you know where I'm going, is it true that... Uh, you were one of the students that, that helped form the discipleship program, correct? That's true. Yeah, the discipleship council um, was uh, was the lead team on that, and I was a part of the first class, I guess. But, but the reason why you were part of the first class is because you noted uh, a young lady, <laughs> and it was Krista. Is that true? Yeah. So Mark Irving was yep. uh, was on staff here and is still a great friend. We 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 just yeah. talked last week. And, um, but he, <laughs> he was, uh, he was starting this discipleship initiative, kind of a, a cascading discipleship model that I understand is still going on. It is. And, um, and so he was pulling together a cadre of, of, of leaders to start, he would pour into, and then they would pour into others who would pour into others and that kind of multiplication model. And, um, and so he was pulling together a team and my wife had been tapped to like mm. be a part of this. And, um, and I was interested in in Krista at the time and so I thought oh this is a way to like get to know her from a ministry standpoint or whatever I was kind of a little stalking as well and so anyway I wormed my way into getting an application sent in and they they took me but anyway yeah my wife was so mad she was like this was my thing (laughs) oh was she really yeah 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 I mean she got over it obviously had you been dating before that uh we were just in the early stages of like figuring that out yeah. 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 So it was like she was she knew I was trying to 
you make know, a move. Edge, well, yeah, I was making a move, and and she was like, ah. ah. <laughs> well, what she got over it. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. she has. I mean, she's, how can how can you resist this? I mean, is it? <laughs> I, I don't know. This this is the first time that I've met you, and I'm I'm enamored. <laughs> but in, in truthfulness, um, I was really impressed by the words of Dr. Dixon, and I want to talk about this some of this later on in the podcast about at your installation, where I believe it was Dr. Dixon saying just that what a great ministry couple you and Krista are in the church with people, and that's that started here right on this little campus. Yep, it did. That's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's my partner in ministry, right? And what's interesting is, is um, she had a call to ministry as well, which, which she, she assumed was uh, a separate, like, I'm going to go be a missionary somewhere, you yeah. know? And she was kind of on that track. And so she was kind of like sold out for Jesus. I'm just going to go serve him. And I don't need boys in my life, you know? <laughs> which is kind of why I was, I was messing with her world. When I, when I, I you mean, were. Now I'm interested in her and um and actually you know this is her story to tell but like she really felt like this call from the lord to marry me as uh, a ministry project <laughs> and that's I, encouraging it's yeah you know like some people want to go to like a poor part of town and help the poor orphans and things like that like that's how she felt you were her me. project yeah i'm gonna need a lot of work you know but it's, it's actually really interesting that like it took the lord like calling her to like give up some of the things that she thought were part of her journey and to say yes to this ministry partnership that, um, we, I mean, we didn't know we would be doing the things we're doing. Right. Um, but that's so cool. And yeah. then we went to seminary together right? and we got seminary degrees together. And we were for that season. We love that season of our life. We sat yeah. on the couch with our laptops and traded books, you know, cause we're in the same classes. We're doing the same work yeah. and like, we're, it's a partnership and, but you talk about, you know, she's your ministry partner, but isn't that what marriage is all about, where a spouse serves the other person and just, I mean, yeah. I know for me, you know, I've had some several down down years, down moments, but the way my wife has built into me, encouraged me, and, and pushed me, and challenged me, I, I wouldn't be who I am today without her. And right. you're, you can say the same thing. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean that's the body, right? We need each other. We we we're not made to live in isolation. No. And what what's interesting, even Paul says, you know, uh, he says, "I wish everybody were like me, single, sold out for the Lord." But Correct. Paul didn't do it alone. No, oh. he had Timothy, he had Titus, he had, you know what I mean? He yeah. he had Barnabas, he had Mar- John Mark, he had he had all those guys around him. He never went out alone. He had Luke, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it doesn't mean marriage for everybody, but it but it means relationships. And yeah, we're not isolated. We're a team. And yeah. um and I, I think God makes us better together. That you know, people ask me about why I do what I do in terms of profession, public relations. And what 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 I gravitate toward is is I'm building relationships with people. And that's what life's all about. So I'm talking today with Philip Miller about his spiritual journey that has taken him from Cedarville to the Moody Church in Chicago. Now, Philip uh, earned his master's degree in theology, and that clearly helped your spiritual life and your professional life, because you're a pastor. But you also were blessed to learn under the ministry of Chuck Swindoll. That's very impressive. At Stonebriar Community Church in Texas. Uh, Philip, what are some traits or characteristics that you've taken from Chuck Swindoll's ministry that you've adapted into? How has he impacted your ministry? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. When we were, when my wife and I were, we, Krista, we were looking at like what church to attend in Dallas. And there's like a million. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and they're all rock stars. Right. I mean, like, like you know, you got Tony Evans. Yeah, you get all these guys, right? And so, um, but one of the things we realized really early on was whoever we uh, studied un- or learned under in terms of ministry, um, I have a tendency to, when I have a hero, I tend to mimic or imitate or like, so it's, it's, it's not just, I learned some stuff. It, it's like they be, I absorb a piece of them a little bit yeah. into my personality, my methodology, my way of doing things. And so uh, we realized we got to be around someone that it's, we would hope to be, maybe be a little bit like in the future, right? Yeah. Because if we're going to sit for four years, five years under someone's teaching, it's going to make a, it's going to shape us. Yeah. And um, so we we went all around, and and the only guy I could think of that I I was like the guy I want to be most like is is Chuck, and we called him Papa Chuck, and uh, <laughs> and we were um, you know so we just went there every day. And Stonebriar is a very traditional church, organ, choir, okay. orchestration, you know, just all that kind of stuff, which is actually really ironic because that's Moody Church. That's Moody and. Um, and even in the architecture of the sanctuary, so they kind of have some resemblance in terms of the front part of the building. And um, and so it's 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 fascinating how kind of that sacred music and the really high quality, all that kind of stuff is we've kind of stayed in that world in different ways. And so that's that's been very interesting. Um, but yeah, I I think I learned to laugh from Chuck. You know, I I, I grew up and and church was very serious. And um, kind of a little bit, if, if, you know, if you were Presbyterian or something like that, it was kind of that formal high high church. And Chuck laughs. He tells jokes. Oh, yeah. He's he's just he's a little rough around the edges in a good way. He's accessible. Um, I just loved that about him. And yeah. so I I think he gave me the freedom to to let my personality out of the bag a little bit. And so that was good. Um, I also saw that like Chuck would just walk around the church before and after services and he never had like a huge line of people because he was always there and people just knew you could talk to him whenever you wanted. He was just with the people. And I, I thought that's, that is, that's a good thing. And so, um, so things like that were really good. Again, at the installation at Moody, uh, he wrote me a nice letter of, you know, here's, you know, as a father to a son in ministry, sure. like, here's, here's some things that. Um, I wish I had known, you know, when I was starting out and yeah. in big pulpit ministry. And, and so, you know, that's, that's, how do you, how do you weigh that? How do mm. you, that's so, that's so nice, you know? So he's been, he's been a wonderful friend. That seems to be as valuable as a, a degree. Oh, more brain uh, scientists will tell us we have these things called mirror neurons mm-hmm. and, and it's basically how we learn. We, we see things done and as we watch them intently, the the neural pathway is actually pre-wired by observation, even before we do the action. It's the very action, the very neural pathway that will be utilized when we do the action. It wires by observation first. And so what that what that means is that the most important thing in life is who we're paying attention to, mm-hmm. is what we're watching. Um, having people like that that are further down the road mm-hmm. in the faith in ministry who can show us what ministry and godliness looks like. It's like Paul says, follow me follow as me. I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's invaluable yeah. to have. It's, yeah. it's, um, you need the degree, but, but the mentorship is where it's at. Yeah. That's great stuff. 
So um, there's a rich connection between the Moody Church and Cedarville University. And now you're the senior pastor of the Moody Church. So what does it mean to you to be part of such a tremendous legacy? I still don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, you know, I... I um, you got hired at Moody Church. I, I did, I did. And I guess, you know, it's nothing I ever aspired to. Um, Moody, Moody has had like all my... like. Not all my heroes, but many of my heroes. Mine too. Have have been a part of that ministry or spoken there, um, or you know, Founders Week and mm-hmm. all the the lineup that come in for that. And um, I grew up listening to Moody Radio and all mm-hmm. the you know preachers on the radio. And yeah. so I've I've always had in my heart this like this this is this is the center. It's it's this beautiful. Thing that God did through D.L. Moody that's now cascading all over the world, and, and it's enriched my life, it's enriched many people, and I just, th- that's where my heroes were, you know? Mm. And so um, it's a little weird, it's like a page out of somebody else's life mm. um, to be stepping in and doing something like this. I I have imposter syndrome, like really bad, <laughs> you know, like I, I get up there and I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> how did they, how did they, yeah, I don't, it was just, I guess it's me. I got. I got to do it. I'm got to be as helpful as I can. Um, but here's what's really uh, comforting. You know, probably eight or nine Moody Church pastors because they have notoriety. But there's been 17, and and the good news is there's six or seven that nobody knows about. And you could just be one of those guys. It's like the list of presidents, right? Nothing there's, wrong with that. Yeah, there's like 46 presidents, but you remember the big ones, right? Right. And, so then, and then there's the guys in between. And you're like, I don't know what they did. Yeah. They were the most powerful people in the world during their generation, but nobody knows them. All right. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll just be one of those guys, you know? Uh, <laughs> it is a, a sobering thing to be entrusted with something that I believe God cares so deeply about. Um, he's clearly got his hand and heart uh, vested in, in the ministries of the Moody Church. And so um, to be entrusted with something that God cares about like that, I think is very sweet yeah. and sobering. And, um, and again, I don't feel like I'm up for the task, um, but the Lord is, right? And, and that's, what, that's what's important. Yeah. You know, when, when Joshua, you know, Moses died and Joshua uh, takes over, everyone's like, ah, there's no, no, there's no, Buddy like Moses, right. you know, and I'm sure Joshua was like, I don't know how I could be Moses. Yeah, and God says to him, "As I was with Moses, so, so with I will you. be with you." Yeah, and it's not the continuity of the man that matters, but the continuity mm-hmm. continuity of the Spirit and power of God. That's right. And so, if He shows up, we're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, praise the Lord for that. I have hopefully three questions I want to ask you. One: What's your vision for the Moody Church? So I think God has strategically, supernaturally placed the Moody Church in the heart of Chicago, one of the great cities in the world, to change the world. You know, we're not there to just do church. Um, For one thing, D.L. Moody didn't start a church. He launched a movement. Yeah, he did. A movement of the gospel in Chicago and all around the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's our DNA. And so we want to live into that. And... um, I believe that um, everything that God wants to do in the future through the Moody Church is grounded in our past. The DNA is all there. We just need to find the story that God's writing and pull it out into the future. And so that, to us, it looks like worldwide saturation of the gospel mm-hmm. through every means and media possible. 
um, it means um, training a generation of world-changing disciples who are going to launch out throughout Chicago and throughout the nation and even the world yeah. to continue the work of the gospel. Yeah. And so, um, so we're going to strengthen those relationships with the with you know we've got the school and the and the and the publishing house and radio, right. and we're going to continue to amplify those things. And um, we really believe the gospel is the good news of God mm. that's going to change the world. You know, yeah. Jesus wins, and so. Um, we're going to do everything we can to live that out yeah, in a compelling way. I don't, it's nothing brilliant, but I think it's the, it's the old playbook that Jesus gave us. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and start a movement of yeah. replication that will go to the ends of the earth. That's it, why we're here. It's a winning playbook. Yeah. It, it's one for decades. That's right. By yeah. the power of the Spirit, yeah. for the glory of his name. So, uh, Philip... I'm intrigued by a statement that you shared uh, with the Moody Church upon being called to your current ministry. You said, and I quote, I look forward to proclaiming God's word in the historic Moody Church. For me, the win in preaching is when people put their pencils down, stop taking notes, lean in, and the worship starts. The goal of preaching is worship, to draw people's hearts, minds, and souls to attend in worship for our great God. Can you unpack that for us? Mm. Yeah. Well, so to me, preaching, the thing that makes teaching and preaching distinct, um, teaching is about content transfer. Okay. Preaching for me is about stirring up worship. Mm. And the most important thing I can do is to teach truth. I mean, we're going to convey the word of God. The goal of the word of God is to stir my heart, stir my affections, draw me, like give me an encounter with God um, where I realize I'm face to face with th- something that matters, and mm-hmm. I've got to do something about it, and um, and so worship looks like exaltation, uh, adoration. It looks like also it looks like confession mm. and repentance. Worship also looks like resting in the finished work of Christ. It also looks like surrender. Here am I, send me. You know. And so my goal in preaching is I want to I want to I want to give enough content to arrest the mind. I want to give enough um, enough uh, pathos, you know, to to like arrest the heart, and enough of a challenge to like arrest the will. But like until those come together mm-hmm. in full fledged worship, um, that's when you stop taking notes. It's like I've I've encountered the living God. Yeah. You put the pencil down. You just because something ha- God showed up, and um, I feel like my hope is always that God would show up. Mm. Have churches become too um, educational, where where we're, we're taking notes? Because I'm 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 used to taking notes, and so maybe I'm missing something. No, no, no. I I think notes are fine. Um, I just think uh, it's meant to it's meant to move to maturity. Okay. And, and that's that integration piece. It's um, so like if you think head, heart, hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some churches are head churches. Right. Some churches are heart churches. Mm-hmm. Some churches are hands churches. Like some teach well. Some are really like, it's great stories, emotional encounters, like right. conviction. And some are like, let's go do stuff, right? Yeah, right. And, and Jesus says, I want you to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm. like all of you in an integrated package. And so mm. like, we need to bring it together. 
Yeah. You know, it's so what did I learn? How was I stirred? What do I want to do? And what does it mean to like encounter God in a space that actually brings all the pieces of myself together yeah. at once? It's hard to get there, but I, I think that's the win. And, uh, and I really believe we build the altar, but God sends the fire. Yeah. And so we build the best altar we can, but it, it's only when the spirit moves. It's when the presence of God shows up with power and changes hearts. This, this, we call it revival. We call it renewal, whatever. Right. But it's that, it's that sacred space where, where people are finally getting it and surrendering and they're moved in worship and on praise and it, it changes lives. Yeah. Well, we are out of time, so I'm going to avoid my last question. I just spending time with you, Philip. I I believe the city of Chicago is ripe for a, an awakening, and uh, you're in a pivotal role to help that through the Spirit. And uh, I, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to talk to you today um, on the podcast. Thanks for joining me, and I wish you the very best as you, you continue to serve in Chicago. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.